0: Hey, everybody. George with JustOneDram.com. To some of you, I'm back. To others, I'm not. To those of you who don't know me, I uh, used to do a web series on YouTube with some whiskey reviews, and I thought it was about time to bring it back with my friend Chris here.
1: Hey, everybody. Uh, My name is Chris Lindstrom. I run a food podcast uh, in Rochester, where we're from, Food About Town. I'm also part of a startup, Frankly, where we're working on transparency and sourcing and distribution of food and drink products. And I am a spirits enthusiast, and my buddy George here, he's more of an industry industry person with a lot more experience, so we're going to go back and forth about all sorts of different stuff. I'm really excited.
0: And to quickly touch on my experience, for those of you who don't know, I'm a freelance spirits writer. I've worked in distillation before. I've worked in all sorts of different areas of the industry, including retail for the past nine years. But does that mean she should Wait. listen to me? Probably not.
1: Well, I mean, that's I think you have a very unique perspective having done all these different jobs. While myself, I'm more of a just an enthusiast, but somebody who has I only have a certain amount of experience. I've gotten more serious into it over the last few years. I started drinking late in my life. I don't know if I ever told you this. My first drink was at 30. My first full drink.
0: I think. You did tell me that, but I believe you told me that while well, I was very intoxicated that one year we were in the judging that competition together.
1: Yeah, that's actually how we first met. We first met uh, judging one of the spirits competitions here in Rochester. I got invited to do that, and I met George there. And I've done that the last two years, which is an absolute blast, and has only heightened my nerdery about this kind of stuff. I've always been a serious taster. I, w- I wrote uh, restaurant reviews in our local newspaper, so I'm serious about taste. I'm serious about detail, and it's something that spirits just has in spades.
0: Oh, absolutely, especially given I think food's the perfect thing to compare spirits to because it really is, you know, in many ways culinary. It's like this art meets science in like this weird culinary way because using food ingredients to create a beverage.
1: Well, and I think that's what I'm really excited to dive in about when we talk about different spirits, uh, you know, different genres, whether it's, you know, different whiskeys or we get into other things like gins and other other spirits along the way is talking about those techniques. I'm just interested to learn more about them because there's so many different versions. You know, we can we can deal with vodka, we can deal with gins, but talking about whiskey, there's so many different versions, so many different bases, so many different techniques. Oh, and almost countless the at this screen. point, but
0: yeah. new, uh, new takes on it and things coming around every day. It's really cool.
1: Absolutely. So I'm, I do way too many podcasts already, but you know, this is this is an interesting experience for me because I'm not running the show every day, but what I want to do is I want to sort of have you give me some information about what we're going to taste today and why we've picked these things together. And then we'll kind of dive in a little bit.
0: Absolutely. So on that note, let's let's jump into the first thing here. So I decided to pick the Glenn 13-year single barrel that was selected for Ralphie Mitchell's uh, Ralphie.com 10th anniversary. And uh, I'm sure a lot of people Listening or watching right now are familiar with Ralphie? He has been doing YouTube reviews for the last well over ten years now, and he's actually why the inspiration for me to get into doing the video reviews that I used to do.
1: Well, I can see that i actually I went back and watched a few of the ones you did before, and I can definitely see that Ralphie inspiration in what you were doing um he's He's such an interesting character. And character is a great way of describing him as a person. He's such he's animated without being overstated and just has such a unique personality. It makes you want to start imitating him. He's just this eccentric Scotsman who loves loves single malt Scotch.
0: Oh, he absolutely does. And he's just he's just a lot of fun is a good way to put it. And just it his enthusiasm is uh very contagious too.
1: It is and it's something that like my wife tolerates some of the things I watch on YouTube, but for because he's his enthusiasm is so genuine, she can watch Ralphie videos. And I think the part that I love about it so much is how enthusiastically he tastes his whiskey and how detailed his tastings are. And it just it's he just cares so much and it's it's not it's not a put on it i I really identify with that kind of passion that somebody has, oh yeah, absolutely, really so
0: about yes, this whiskey just, that is in his honor, yes, so so single malt scotch from the Glenalchy distillery it's a as we mentioned, a single cask. it was done exclusively in an oloroso sherry puncheon uh Punchian's about five hundred litres. Big Motherfucker there,
1: yeah, so, but talking about sherry, so these are these are some things I want to get into because you know, depending on the level of people listening, there's a lot scotch is so rich in detail and is so it's thick, there's so many different characteristics, so first, scotches are often finished in different casks, so so yeah,, ahead.
0: it is very rare that you'll find. There's a few out there, but very rare you'll find virgin oak to single malt, or scotch in general, simply because, well, first off, anything made from a... So for single malts, it has to be at least... Not at least. has to be made from a 100% malted barley, and barley is a very uh, delicate, if you will, grain, so when it comes through and maybe becomes a whiskey, it can take on character from a barrel really quickly, and new oak can very quickly... uh, some people disagree with this term, but I think it's really a thing over-oak it, and it'd be very quickly quite astringent. So used casks are uh, a lot better for the spirit, especially over such long periods of time aging like they have to do in Scotland.
1: So yeah, I mean, and often you'll see, sometimes they'll be used, you can see them sometimes use bourbon casks, so you'll know, use bourbon barrels, or use this, or use that, and this is an interesting one, and it's not just finished in a sherry, it's sitting in there the whole time. Sometimes you see ones that are, you know, they'll sit in a bourbon and then they'll finish in a something, in a port or a sherry. Yep, and, and the, uh, the finishing hard.
0: aspect actually, like the multiple different cask thing, was actually in the 80s brought about by a guy by the name of David Stewart. Uh, he's now only the malt master for Balvenie, used to be for all of William Grant's uh, distilleries, but... He scaled back to just Balvenie, and dude's brilliant. He's he made the finishing uh, commonplace, but yeah, this one, no finish, just 100% in the sherry cask.
1: And sherry being an oxidized, oxidized wine from Spain.
0: Yeah, um, some sherry styles are oxidative, some are some are not. Yeah, but, this is
1: this is Oloroso, which is a little bit of a darker darker than like an Amontillado sherry necessarily Correct. and you get some of those notes too
0: so what are you getting on the nose and on the palate so far with this
1: well I think the interesting thing is for something as intense being cask strength whether what is this one was 120 proof so 60 percent alcohol it doesn't smell that strong on the nose like it's not it you don't get a big alcohol tint on the nose or anything like that.
0: No, it's absolutely beautiful.
1: Now, with this
0: being 13 years old, it was from a previous distiller before the current owner and distiller took over. But when it comes down to what's in the bottle and being released, it is very much under the care of Billy Walker, who is a rock star master distiller in Scotland. And even though this wasn't distilled by him because he's only owned the company since 2017 and this was laid down in barrel i think it was 2006 but he would not let anything come out that's uh not representative of his level of skill
1: yeah this is well i think part of i think what we should at least start with is What's the process Let's talk about the process of smelling and tasting for a minute, because I think that's that's something that depending on who's watching, some of this is old hat and part of what I want to bring to this is this is how I've come to do it, but it depends everybody does things a little bit different way, so we're trying to do we're trying to do smell first, and we're using we both have uh both have Glen glasses, so we're using the same style glass, same shape.
0: And it's actually, you know, everyone can have their opinions about which glass is best, which glass is best because of why all these, you know, some people love Glencairn, some people hate them, but, you know, at the end of the day, whatever glass works for you works for you, but I will say in all of the different competitions I've judged, it has been the only glass used in professional judging competitions.
1: Absolutely, and it's it's also nice that we're tasting out of the same style glass even though we're remote today you know we're we're able to we're able to taste out of the same glass because it's kind of is a standard and know that it's funneling the aromas to our uh to our face the same kind of way absolutely true yeah notes.
0: the shape of the glass definitely does concentrate the aromas in a way that makes it uh easier to d- to detect all the different notes in there
1: yeah so I'm getting so a
0: lot of the sherry notes on the nose.
1: I was gonna say, yeah, it's got some richness. You definitely smell that oxidation, but it's not. It's not in that purely raisiny kind of way. It's smooth. It doesn't it doesn't have a lot of um, like piquant notes. It's not super sharp on the nose at all.
0: Right, more like dried sherry fruit, dar, dried dark fruit notes instead of raisinated fruit. Yeah,
1: yeah, and it's, and I, I'm gonna use terms that aren't necessarily a hundred percent accurate with this, but it smells. You can smell the age. I think you can definitely smell the wood on it. It has that dry has some dry notes to the nose.
0: Yeah, definitely dry, a little little dusty, but not overly so, not astringent or anything.
1: No, and it does it doesn't smell off in any way. And it's very very harmonious nose, but it's not I wouldn't say it's the most expressive nose on a on a scotch that I've smelled.
0: Yeah, it's very, um, we'll say, it shows restraint. Despite being 13 years in sherry, it's not just a sherry bomb. There's nuance, there's restraint. It's not quite in your face.
1: Yeah, tasting sherry can be a very interesting experience. You can get a lot of really bright notes. You can get these, even though it might be like dried and desiccated fruits, you're still getting acid and these other kind of big noses. And even well I'm gonna go ahead and taste, I'm excited.
0: Definitely more of that dried fruit. A lot of caramel and toffee, almost custardy on the palate there for me.
1: Yeah, and what now I'm breathing it in. So this does have this does have some peat to it, correct?
0: No, actually, there's no peat at all in Glen Ellicke. Really? Yeah, Man, no it, peat it, in it at all. A,
1: it does have a, it has that kind of characteristic to it, though. You know what I mean? It has that, has some smoke. It has that.
0: So what Which I really usually tell people that there's uh, a lot of people think they're detecting peat in a single malt. Part of it is confirmation bias but yeah. the rest of it is barley because it's malted barley even without having the peat as a fuel for it imparting flavor okay. it's still heavily uh heavily influenced by just the malting process and that's quite literally where they're kiln drying and heating it
1: so that 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 smoke presence I'm getting and that's I think that's an interesting point cuz scotch is probably my the thing I've spent the least amount of time on, especially diving into it in detail. So, yeah, I think that's a great, because it's easy to attribute it to that, because that's a, that's a something we all know, or at least we think we know. We, we've, we can smell. We can say, oh, that's peat, because it's smoke. But you're saying, so it's coming from the actual grain, which is... It, that's cool.
0: Absolutely, because barley on its own has like a really, really earthy kind of thing going on with it. And since peat is quite literally ancient decayed earth you know it's yeah it, it's all it's all within the tolerance i guess we could say
1: interesting so how would that how would pete express itself differently than this because this you're right this is a i'd say this is a basey. this is a it's a rich thick dark smoky taste where it's it lingers on the palate it's really it's coating my mouth i think in a really nice way I'm enjoying it a lot, but how how would peat usually express itself in different ways? So,
0: I think the best way to differentiate the notes you get from just the barley naturally and peat is peat is definitely often fairly medicinal, uh, more iodine, kind of sharpie marker, band aid. Even when it's more subtle, you get that very vegetal, like campfirey, briny intensity.
1: You you've given a lot of notes that if people don't know how they work in a scotch, are going to be like like you gave a lot of terrible tastes. Oh, absolutely. Like,
0: like, like, like uh I'll use uh there's a <laughs> a very prominent well-loved uh single malt for a lot of people that I can't stand and the I don't care I'll say it. It's Oban 14 year. <laughs> it tastes like salty seagull shit to me. Like it's it's very <laughs>
1: <laughs> very heavy
0: on seaweedy, briny, just not pleasant stuff
1: well, see that then that's actually one I would love to taste at some point with you because I actually like i like saline, I like those kind of notes, and that I'd be interested to see how it hits we might even taste the same things, but it might we might appreciate it in very different ways. that's
0: absolutely true like like that's the thing with well. With whiskey and just spirits in general is everything is incredibly subjective the thing you know there is such a thing as like technically correct and you can measure flaws and things and all that but even with or without flaws if someone likes it good great enjoy it drink it drink more for you then
1: well i think that's an it's an important thing that you know despite a certain level of like we we care about the details we care about tasting we care about all these things all that really matters in the end is you drink what you enjoy. We might have other ideas, we might have other tastes, and that's okay. I think all we all we want, and people who I know who are serious about spirits, is if you're sitting down and tasting something, try to enjoy it seriously, to a point. Like, we're not sitting here with this, you know, 13-year single barrel thing and slamming it down. We're enjoying it, we're savoring it.
0: Exactly, and with this one, I'd feel bad slamming it down anyway, because there was only six hundred and seventy two bottles,
1: really, yeah, wow, that's pretty fantastic
0: now there were I think there was another release in commemoration of Ralphie's tenth anniversary done in a port barrel. I don't believe that came stateside, but in terms of what came stateside, the sherry one, yeah, only six hundred and seventy two barrels or bottles from the barrel exist,
1: wow. But what I do you say we I,
0: move on to the next thing here?
1: Well, I am I'm actually gonna take a second to so become more nerdy. This is this is something that we we did during the spirits competition. I grabbed a I make my own hot sauce, so I use a hot sauce bottle, but I'm gonna drop a couple drops of water in this. And so, what um, kind of maybe. water are you So I I filtered it through my fridge. It's not distilled, it's not hundred percent clear. Um, nor did I add any minerals to it which I have done in the past. Um, So it's, I'd say, lightly filtered, but why don't you explain why I'm doing this?
0: So, the concept of adding, diluting your whiskey with a little bit of water, uh, it can change a spirit, especially something at such a high proof. Literally, when you bring a spirit down to its proof that goes into a bottle when it's not cast strength, is the addition of, usually, reverse osmosis water. And it can open up the spirit quite a bit or can make it fall apart.
1: Yeah, so what we were doing in the competition, at least at the table I was sitting at, we would do three drops, just three drops of water. And it was amazing how often it would change how it smelled. Oh, it changes. It can change things immediately, yeah. And now it has a brighter, definitely has a brighter smell to it, more aromatic.
0: It's interesting, though. Something I've talked to a few distillers about, there's very, there's widely arraying opinions about addition of water to whiskey, but uh, some people like myself are of the thought that the distiller put it in a bottle at the proof they put it in it. That's the intended way to try it. But again, it doesn't matter. It's all what you like and like with scotch, the addition of water absolutely can elevate the experience. Bourbon in my experience and many others, is it uh, really makes things fall apart quite quickly.
1: Yeah, that's why typically I only do like a few drops. And it's I think that makes a big difference. And I love that experience of tasting it that way. Not like actually dropped in proof, but just those couple drops. It definitely changed the profile of this a little bit. Not in a bad way. I think it really it brightened it up a lot which is shocking that that only that few drops can make that big a difference. Yeah, the high notes are coming through a little bit more, you know, those high, the high fruit notes. It almost tastes a little hotter for some reason. But anyways, I'm probably going to do this on everything we taste. That's all right. (laughs) Just as part of the part of the experience. But one, cheers, this was delightful. And I'm really glad I got to try this. I love sherry, and this feels like just just so much sherry. What's oh, your yeah. overall feel on this one? I'm sorry. What's your overall feel on that one? I love it,
0: but uh, big bias because it's the sherry, or the Ralphie version. It to commemorate his 10th anniversary. Like I love single malts. I love sherry, so I definitely give it you know like two thumbs up. I guess.
1: Two, if you two, will. two malt marks up.
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Not quite going to start assigning uh scores as Ralphie does because you know what, that 100 point system it's uh it's a blessing and a curse. So I'm just going to say this is damn good whiskey. If you see one of the 672 bottles, grab it immediately. It's going to be about 150 or so dollars, but it's worth every penny.
1: No, it's it's got some great richness. It's bright, balanced, you know, balanced smoke and just really delightful
0: now ready to jump yeah. across the atlantic back back home here for us
1: yeah this is a complete change in direction
0: yeah total 180 the second thing we're getting into is bourbon from pinhook now story behind pinhook is it is a independent bottler And they are located in Kentucky, but the bottling we're currently enjoying right now is actually distilled in Indiana at MGP, Midwestern Grain Products. And they bottled it at the, uh, they warehoused and bottled at the Castle and Key Distillery.
1: So let's, so let's talk about that for a second. So you mentioned that it was distilled in Indiana by MGP. MGP being i'd say are they I'm not sure they're the largest or one of the very largest distilleries here in America
0: they're at least the largest contract distiller i i think i don't know if they're the largest distillery because there's some there's some big boys there like uh like things owned by some of the bigger companies are huge sure. but i would at least say i think they are by far the largest contract
1: distillery right so when we're talking about that, and again, we're not—we're not saying this as a negative. Sometimes, you know, people can be very purist about these kind of things. Um, we're just—this is just a fact of where it's brewed, uh, where it's—you know—where it is distilled. So, when you say Pinhook, it's—they don't have their own distillery necessarily. This is distilled at MGP, um, and that's just a fact. And when these things come up, we're going to try to be as transparent as we can and say, "Hey, this is done here." Um I know both of us believe in transparency and labeling.
0: Yes, and they are uh, very transparent about the source of all of their different bottlings. And part of that is it's leg- re- legally required now to say on the back they're distilled in Indiana, but also they've always just from the beginning been very <laughs> Oh, I've got a little uh a guest here that decided ah. to barge into the office and no, um, have some whiskey too.
1: Well, this is part of, the, part of the interesting thing about recording remotely in our own little studio spaces. I have more of a permanent studio space here in my house without many intruders. Um, but since we're recording in the time of the coronavirus, we're doing what we do. We'll probably record in person in the future. But for today, we're recording remotely.
0: Can we stay six feet apart in your studio? <laughs> we
1: can try.
0: Yeah, we'll put masks on and be six feet apart.
1: Yeah. <laughs> I like that we have a mascot, though. That's good.
0: We do. We have a mascot now.
1: <laughs> he was barking at me when I dropped the microphone off to George's house so we could use the same microphone. Yeah. Oh, look at that. Yes. Oh, all Bart all the love. All the love. Mark sweet for us.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Where were we again? We were talking about, were talking about transparency. MGP.
1: Yeah, so we were talking about MGP. So, Penhook, I've had a couple things. I actually have a bottle of uh, one of the Rye's here, uh, which I enjoy, and we've I've used for for cocktails here, and I'd say it's a it's a really solid brand from everything I've tasted so far. Oh or yeah, they just, absolutely um, they yeah.
0: absolutely pick really good barrels, and they're they're uh, probably the coolest job title you could have, master taster is sean josephs who also does a lot of their sales and he's one of the founders of the company but for a while because of their using castle and key as a base of operations uh marianne eves while she was there who's incredible distiller rock star distiller right now uh, she was helping a lot with selection and blending she has since moved on from castle and key and is doing uh independent consult distilling consulting but actually I don't think I mentioned which one we're drinking of this, by the way. Before I keep rambling and start talking about other releases, (laughs) this is their vertical series, first release in that series, Bourbon War, four-year-old bottle here. And what they're doing with this vertical series is they're taking the same family of barrels, and every year for the next nine years, they're going to uh, send another release out at each different age. So next year, they will release the five year, and then after that, the six year, seven, so on and so forth.
1: So same lot, and then you'll use, you know, however many barrels for, for that run, and then, and then, you know, another amount of barrels, but it's the same run of, same run of Distillery.
0: Correct, correct. But what I was about to mention, though, speaking of their other releases and Castle and Key and Marianne Eves, I can never remember if it's Eves or Barnes now. Ones are maiden name, ones are married, and I don't remember which is which. Either way, fantastic distiller. But uh, their newest release of bourbon, Bohemian bourbon, is Castle and Key Distillate that was distilled by Marianne. And I haven't picked it up yet, but it's out there, and I'm actually really excited to try that one. But this MGP one, pretty damn good.
1: So this is, this is bourbon, correct?
0: This is bourbon. Straight, not Kentucky bourbon because it's from Indiana, but straight bourbon nonetheless.
1: And interesting because we just went from something that was, you know, so uniquely Scotch, you know, with that, uh, with that influence of the sherry and, you know, the malted barley and everything else. And then you go to the nose of this and it's so, so different.
0: Oh, it's massively different.
1: Almost a complete mindset change when you're when you're starting to smell it.
0: Oh, yeah, because we, we went from that 100% barley to this is only 4.5% barley. Predominantly corn at 75%, 20.5% rye. So it's completely different animal.
1: Well, and I think that's really fair on the nose as well. And I have much more experience tasting bourbon and rye. And... It's definitely a balanced corn on the nose. This isn't. This is doesn't just smell like you know dry, like field corn. This has a rounded corn. You can smell a little bit of that spice from the rye.
0: Oh yeah, absolutely. It's got like, it's got that mm. sweet yellow corn, but like without the sweetness. Yeah, if that makes well, sense. So you're, it, you're right. It's definitely yeah, drier, yeah. but it's got those the same, uh, the same profile of a sweet corn, like a sweet yellow corn. With a lot of spice from that rye, and like an almost like a a dusty bookshelfy cherry wood thing going on.
1: No, I think that's really that's a that's a great note, and I think that's in bourbons that I like to drink. You definitely get some of those rich fruit notes without being overly dried. You know, you get some of those a little bit of that. You know, that dark fruit, dark fruit kind of profile without it being like a red wine dark fruit. You know, right, it's not, right, yeah. It's not super present, but it's that that richness that roundness with almost that it's not acidity but it's that brightness it's that combination of brightness and roundness that comes from like a good cherry
0: yeah and i just i don't know my allergies been bothering me today so i'm a little congested but are you getting like barks root beer and marzipan on the nose too
1: that's interesting because i think that you know that high spice note from barks because it's that bite those those high notes and that's the thing that is really interesting on this versus the scotch is a very different note, very different high notes too. And I'm not getting like confectioner sugar. I'm getting sweet. Um
0: Yeah, like natural sweet.
1: Yeah, it's not quite that cloying, you know, confectioner sugar where it's very present. Hmm.
0: And on the palate, though, it it definitely is a different animal than the nose. It's a lot like... No doubt. A lot of toffee, a lot of butterscotch and caramel, more of that baking spice, like clovey almost.
1: Yeah, it's... Wow. The first thing that hits the palate is the corn, though. And this isn't one where the corn kind of completely melds in. You know, some bourbons, especially as they're older, this is only four years, like you said as you get older sometimes you don't get that predominant corn note on the front end this this definitely starts with a notable corn note but it's not it's not punching you in the face with you know that bad corn
0: right it's like corn on the cob from that you uh, heavily roasted on the grill
1: yeah and it's weird the middle is so round and long this is not a quick this is not a quick bourbon on the palate it lingers for a long time the middle is so rich and toffee. And it's weird. The end is almost like milky corn, like that fresh, like when you're biting into corn that hasn't been cooked. You're almost getting that, that round milky finish, which is a very odd note, but a really pleasant one.
0: I can definitely see what you're saying there. Yeah. Mm. I get a lot of the, uh, like the spice on the end there too, and a lot of vanilla. Yeah. Tons of vanilla on the finish.
1: Huge. Yeah, it's huge vanilla. So but more like the,
0: vanilla bean than vanilla extract.
1: Yeah. One, I think the the interesting thing. So I noticed you were breathing. You were purposefully breathing while you're tasting. it. talk about talk about that part of the tasting.
0: Oh yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, exhale first. Exhale before you sip. Do not inhale. That's not a good idea. And this one is ninety-eight proof, so it's forty nine percent alcohol. So not anywhere near the level of the scotch. I
1: wasn't supposed to do. I breathed in while it was in my mouth. (laughs) I do like to once it's gone, I do like to breathe in and out and let it let it run through your palate a different way too. It can be very pleasant.
0: The amount of yeah, the vanilla bean on the end though, I can't get over how much vanilla bean is on the back of the palette and into the finish.
1: Yeah, and it's not to say it's without its without its brightness because it's still bright. And what what is this one running? Looks like what ninety eight proof.
0: Yeah, ninety eight proof.
1: It doesn't it doesn't taste it like it's not it's not hot at all, but it stays bright. It's not it's not just it's not dull or flat like. You know, some bourbons can be at, you know, at 80 proof. It's very lively all the way through. Oh, yeah, through, and I think that's... Even with the richness.
0: So 80 proof is the legal minimum any whiskey can be, or pretty much most spirits in the United States can go to. And uh, it doesn't get put down. at it, whiskeys that are at 80 proof aren't put there because it's uh, where they taste best at. That's for damn sure.
1: Yeah, I would agree with that. Because this still... It has this viscosity. It's not over and it's not, you know, it's not coating the palate, but it's rich. And man, that middle is so toffee. Not quite, not quite dark, like burned caramel, but really rich caramel. Yeah, like the the
0: cubes, like caramel cubes.
1: Yeah, I want to salt it almost. (laughs) I'm going to drop a couple drops of water in here just to see what happens.
0: I'm going to be interested in seeing uh, how you feel the water in there. Because I know I mean, that I have a not- bias against the adding of water, but I, I firmly believe most bourbon doesn't stand up to it. This one might, yeah. though.
1: Now, when I say adding, I am at legitimately three drops is as much as I added. So it's not, it shouldn't de-proof it at all.
0: Yeah, the dilution is very minor at that point.
1: Yeah. different. It doesn't coat the palette quite the same. It's a little it's a little more rounded in the middle. But I think it was slightly slightly better before. I think that coating that it did through the whole middle, you know that really really rich part, it's still there, but it's just it dances a little more now versus really it was punching you before, like, really, really hitting you in the mid-power.
0: So it went from, like, a really big bear hug to more of, like, a pat on the back?
1: I'd say more like a bro hug, where you where you go and you go pat, pat.
0: Okay. Now, yeah. now, out of curiosity, though, what I want you to do is hold that glass up to the light and tell me what it looks like now that you've added the water.
1: No, let me, let, me, let me get up to the best light I have here.
0: any cloudiness any particulate anything uh any of the oils coming out of suspense
1: i don't see anything notable i don't see i don't see it coming out of i don't see any particulate as far as i can tell but it's a little bit difficult it's not optimal lighting in here I imagine this was filtered, would be my guess.
0: They don't say either way. Um, when it comes to filtration, I actually... Uh, there's a really long-winded explanation of if chill filtration actually impacts flavor or not. And it's pretty heavily debated. And there's a lot of people who think that they swear that chill-filtered whiskey is inferior because it takes out flavor. But when people try filter chill-filtered and non-chill-filtered whiskeys blind... There's barely, people really don't tell a difference there. But um, this one does not say either way on Mm -hmm. the bottle.
1: Regardless, though, this is really pleasant. I'd say this is the kind of bourbon I would like to sit with and work through. Um, And I think generally, I don't think it needs more, it needs more water. I think it was right where it needed to be proof-wise sitting there. Um, yeah, that's, it's really nice. And it's, I think what I'm interested to as we start to dive into different bourbons is to look at the character of them and learn more about, you know, I know what I like, but I don't know all the characteristics of it as, you know, as you work through it. And I'll be interested because it's, you know, as you get into some of the the fancier bourbons that I haven't spent a lot of time with. You know, I've done a lot of New York State stuff, but, you know, I haven't spent a lot of time on bourbon, to be honest. And I'm, I'm really interested in learning a lot more as we go forward.
0: Now, bourbon's one of those things where I've spent, in my uh, opinion, I guess I'll say a little too much time on. Uh, <sighs> bourbon is a little getting to be kind of boring. And actually, I wrote a article i think a year or two ago about bourbon essentially getting boring at this point and how it needs to be revitalized and changed up and there needs to be you know some changes and like craft people should be doing different things like heirloom grains and hardwood smoking and just making things interesting again but regardless you know a bourbon that tastes like bourbon it has to be well executed to do so so yeah, this is well executed.
1: Absolutely. Uh, where where was that article published? So if people want to go look at it.
0: It was in Artisan Spirit Magazine. I don't remember which issue, but if you go to JustOneGram.com, dot uh, com, I've got a portfolio page that'll link to everything I've ever had published.
1: Yeah, really cool. And I think that's an interesting point because, you know, bourbon has become such a hot button, especially, especially for new enthusiasts. You know, because people want to chase the fancy stuff. People want to chase the rare stuff. Things that became, became exceedingly expensive. And even stuff that was relatively cheap in recent years has become prohibitively expensive for the normal person.
0: Oh, yeah. And I think that's absolute bullshit in many ways because, like, there's certain uh, bourbons out there that in my retail experience were those those gems that nobody knew about that, were cheap like real cheap and they became like a daily drinker for a lot of everyday people that can't get it anymore because it won some awards and tripled in price and is getting traded like a commodity illegally over the internet so it's
1: yeah it's unfortunate because i think both of our philosophies is you should be drinking good whiskey with other people like this isn't something you want to sit not to say you won't enjoy sitting down and enjoying it by yourself, but like you want to drink this with other people. You don't want to let it sit forever on your shelf. It's not a showpiece. It's this is for enjoying.
0: Exactly, yeah. These were made to be enjoyed. They're made as a consumable. They're they're a food product. It's you know, it's they're not meant to be, you know, stared at and collect dust. Crack it open, drink it. Absolutely. But as to the point of, you know, you don't have to you know there's everyone wants to get into really expensive and hard to get things but you can get great stuff for this is a 15 dollar liter of Henry McKenna bourbon from Heaven Hill distillery you can sit down and drink this and enjoy it you don't need to spend tons of money on something to enjoy it
1: absolutely and it's you know we're and we're we're going to talk about you're we're, we're going to talk about you know spirits from all different kinds of distilleries this isn't just going to be high craft and it's going to be all sorts of different things you know, we'll talk about daily drinkers and basically anything anything that grabs our attention. But I think we want to approach these topics from a, you know, from a little bit of a, you know, thoughtful perspective. You know, why why are we, you know, what do we enjoy about this versus something else? Why is this a good daily drinker? And what's a good value?
0: Right. It comes down to what's a good value, what's a good quality, but also what has a cool story? Like, why, why should we give a shit about the person who made it? You know, like what's what's cool, what's different, like with Pinhook. There's a cool story here. Like, yeah, it's sourced. They're honest about it being sourced, but every release is named after a racehorse that happens to also be named after whiskey, like this one, Bourbon War. There's a horse, Bourbon War, and that's that's a cool story there.
1: Absolutely. Well, and I think it's also not that it's all labeled, but it is a cool label too. Oh and- yeah,
0: beautiful packaging, great wax. They. The bottle's a little tall, and when I, you know, I don't ask why I was measuring bottles earlier, but (laughs) this is like, it's about 14 inches tall. That's a huge bottle, and um, it stands out on the shelf that way, but also for someone like myself who works in the retail end of things, it's a pain in the ass to fit on the shelf sometimes, depending on where the shelf is
1: yeah I was gonna say thankfully my shelves at home have you yeah, know I've got enough clearance, but if I had an extra shelf on there, there's no way I'd fit that in there no, no absolutely
0: enough. not, but it's not always what about It's not always about the outside of the bottle though it's what's in it, and this is this is what America tastes like that's bourbon right there <laughs> tastes like america
1: it does and but I think for especially for a four year bourbon. This has really good mature notes. You still know it's a 4 year. This isn't this isn't a 10. This isn't something that's had a long time. But for a 4 year bourbon, this is a really well-made product with a lot of good richness that this is one you want to sit with and enjoy.
0: Yeah, definitely, absolutely. Definitely on its own or it'd be good in a a higher end Manhattan for sure. You know, this is only like a $45 bottle, so it's nothing too crazy. Uh-huh.
1: No, that's not bad. And the regular, the regular ones, just in case people want to get into the regular pin hook, that's probably what in the thirties.
0: Yeah, depending on what state you're in, yeah, thirty or so.
1: Okay. Yeah, that's that's a really good, you know, mid price, mid price bottle that you can get into. And this, if you want to take a step up for something, it has a more of a story, and you can start tracking year to year. It's a really cool opportunity.
0: Oh, yeah, I really love the concept of the vertical series. I'd like to see more distillers do that actually
1: well it's it's kind of interesting you know it's something that's very popular in the very popular in the wine world where you'll you know you'll taste a twenty ten versus a eleven twelve thirteen fourteen, and wine obviously is more affected by the outside um you know by the the growth season. But it's not, like, it's not like barrels aren't affected by the different seasons and the years they go through.
0: Exactly, yeah. And while it's cool in the sense of wine, like the different vintages being so drastically different, what's cool with this vertical, though, is you also get, like, it's kind of like trying, like, if you get 10 bottles of the same vintage and then every year crack a new one open, it's a lot like that, too.
1: Yeah, I'm actually looking to do that. I'm I'm looking to start collecting collecting bottles for my anniversary year. Unfortunately, I forgot to do it earlier, but <laughs> um but yeah, I think it's it's a really interesting way of trying to understand how things are affected too and it's looking at I I wouldn't say just one variable, but reducing the amount of variables and saying what does age do to the same thing? And that's really cool. It's a great opportunity to try to taste what that really means. Yeah, absolutely. Oh. All right. Well, we've gone through our two products. So for this, you know, for this episode, we tasted ai am going to try to pronounce this properly, the Glenelaki. Did I get that right?
0: Not quite close enough, but Glenelaki. Uh,
1: Glenelaki.
0: Glen, Or Glen-alaki if you want or as Ralphie would say, Glenelaki.
1: Glenelaki. This is a thirteen-year single Oloroso sherry cask, the Ralphie ten-year anniversary special, which is really that's. I'm really. He's my hero. You. He's my hero. He's, so cool. So that was a really interesting product, and then we just finished the Pinhook Vertical Series for Bourbon War. Um, great balanced four-year bourbon at a reasonable price. If you want to get into that, you know, start to get into that higher end of bourbon. Really cool, and if you want to um ma'am george where can they find you if they want to talk to you more or find out what else you've done
0: so i would say easiest way would be instagram uh my username i will superimpose somewhere on the video anyway but it's whiskey jedi with the e because this is america damn it
1: (laughs) and uh you can find me in just about everything uh Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, I'm uh, at stromie, that's S-T-R-O-M-I-E, and you can also find me on the Food About Town podcast. Man, I really enjoyed recording this, and I'm so excited to do more of these. This is, what a great opportunity for me to ask a lot of of questions and learn so much more about spirits.
0: Yeah, and it's going to be a lot of fun. I've been looking forward to do this for a while now, and it's good to be back in the saddle, so to speak, even though it's a very different medium than I am used to.
1: Yeah, me too. I haven't done anything on video before, so um, and we'll, we'll see how it goes. And that's, I think that's uh, the end of our first episode, so thanks so much for listening. George, why don't you take us out?
0: And here's a message from our sponsors. Never mind, we don't <laughs> have any. <laughs> but in all, all right, serious, thanks for everyone back. for tuning in. Uh, it's good to be back. Looking forward to sharing a lot of spirits with you.
1: And uh stay in good spirits. See ya.